All right. Hello, everyone. This is Angel Leon, your host at Minority Mavericks. And this is the show where you get to listen to the stories of all minority mavericks out there, founders, entrepreneurs, and investors of this world. And in today's episode, we have Mateus Fellini, and he is the founder and CEO at Datlow. Uh, welcome to the show, Mateus. Yeah, thank you, Angel. Thank you for the invitation. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really happy to have you here. Um, and have your story you know be told to everyone out there so to that end let's start with your journey um i would i would love for you to introduce yourself tell us your background where you come from where you're from um and then just tell us that you know journey from where you started all the way to you know where you are today all right great well so as angel mentioned i am ceo and founder of datlo uh, datlo is a location intelligence platform was born in a interior city in the south of Brazil. And to this day, Datlo is based here. Most of our employees are here. Uh, I graduated in geography, had a master's degree about location data transparency. And at that time, I developed environmental projects for companies that needed a high level of compliance with complicated environmental laws, especially when they were expanding. And sometimes they would make, they would lose millions because they made bad decisions about the, the place to build a new play, new plant, for example, a new store. And I understood this was a very common problem. Okay. And I was studying data transparency laws in my master's degree at the same time. And I could see how much data there was available for companies to use and make better decisions and avoid trouble from the efficiency and legal perspectives. And I would, would ask myself, why don't they just make location analysis before making decisions? Why would they make bad decisions? And, and I, I understood that the reason for that is because there was no proper tool uh, for companies to make this analysis. The GIS software is available were too complicated, they didn't have much data embedded, uh, companies would have to go and find the data for themselves, and it's not so easy to get data in Brazil, uh, especially when you are not in a, a large city, when you are not in a capital. Um, so I started working on this project. I, I, I thought, what if we make a GIS platform that is so intuitive that everyone could use business users with no uh, technical skills could use the software to make decisions it would already have the data they need and they could implement it easily in their decision making process so i started working on this project at the beginning i didn't really have any money to pay for anyone so i had to to learn how to code uh, the company at the time was just me I was able to sell this rough and ugly MVP for a few companies. Then I met my co-founder, Raissa, she's our CTO, and she developed the first not MVP product. So the, the first product, the first version of the software that was an actual product, and we could start selling to a lot of other companies. And, and, and we could see that there was this huge market gap for a software like that in Brazil. Nice. And one thing is that companies in Brazil were not so used to pay for software, to pay a lot of money for, for software. So we had all this uh, kind of 
education curve that we had to to show companies that they needed something like that. And so basically at the beginning we had to work a lot, like 16 hours a day, me and Raisa to be able to to grow the company. But we were able to to overcome these initial challenges and and get into the traction uh, phase. Yeah, so that's the the beginning of the journey. Nice, very nice, uh, Mateus. And um, you know, it's 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 very interesting your background as well and how you uh, managed to just basically you know focus on your on your goal, right? And then just just do whatever it takes to to get to it. So I I really appreciate that, and I'm sure that. Um, our listeners as well. Um, I'm sure that all of that, though, it sounds amazing and great, right? Uh, when you tell it like that, but I'm sure that it came with a lot of challenges and struggles. Uh, would you like to share a little bit more about, you know, from a minority perspective as well, right? Uh, and and to basically just, you know, define the minority here. It's not just about being Latino or Hispanic or from other country here in the United States, but I know, I know that low is a is a YYC company, a graduated mm-hmm. company. Yeah. Um, so I would like to understand your perspective from a, that minority perspective, right here in the U.S. What are those challenges that you guys faced here um, as a company from Brazil? Yeah. Uh, so I guess there are two things about that. Usually, when I think about the challenges that we have, uh, I I like to think about Raisa. Uh, because I believe that she had so much more challenges than I did because she's a, a female CTO, one of, one of the very few female CTOs in Brazil. Actually, also, even in the Silicon Valley, there aren't so many female software developers and yeah. she, she's also LGBTQ. So she had to, to be able to work in an environment that is mostly dominated by men Mm-hmm. And she was able to feature herself as an awesome software developer. Uh, when I met her, she had already built another company and be able to 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 have a, her work admired by all of these people, even when prejudice is such a common thing to this day. So the fact that, that she was able to become so relevant in the software development community in Brazil is something that I really admired. Because I believe she had to put a lot more work to to achieve that than probably any man would have to. So when I think about the challenges, I, I usually think about her because I believe she had so much more challenges than I did. But uh, yeah. when we we as a company look to 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 this international expansion, then there is a lot more challenges because um, you know. We have the language barrier. Uh, when we got into Y Combinator, we actually didn't even speak a lot of English. Wow. Uh, yeah, so so there was a lot of, of, of challenges uh, about that, challenges to make the investors understand the Brazilian markets, the Brazilian companies. Um, and, and to this day, to make sales, uh, we also see that usually American companies don't want to, to think that they are buying from a Brazilian company that mm-hmm. is expanding to the U.S. We, we have to try to look the most American possible to, to be able to, to, to get customers in the U.S. 
So there are a lot of challenges yeah. about that too. Yeah, definitely, and and I can see you know it, it's all it's all related to to that fake risk that investors kind of you know talk about with minority groups, right? Um, yeah. And I always say that it's not you know it's a fictitious thing. Uh, it's not it's not a real risk. I think it's more of of a fear from them. Um, yes. And I do believe that you know just like your story of your co-founder. Um, you know, minority people tend to have a lot more resiliency than than others, um, and I believe that you know resiliency is one of those main characteristics, right? Um, about a, a, a successful entrepreneur, right? A successful founder is someone that that never takes no for an answer, right? And even if they have no as an answer, right? They're always looking to okay, how do I turn that no into a yes? Yes, um, that's that's the journey, right? Um, and it's it's very impressive, right? To to hear that story, and that's you know it's it's her story, but it's also the story of Thatlow, right? In in the sense that how is it that you know you as a, as a co-founder as well invited that into right uh, the the company? A lot of people wouldn't. Um, so that's you know that's very admirable from your part to actually right invite that that struggle that you knew up front, okay, this is going to be a little challenging. Um, but you know, now, now and then, right. Uh, she probably proved to you that this is not the case. Um, and you guys graduated from YC. That's another, you know, thing to say there for, for, in you know, your behalf. So, um, yeah, really impressive, uh, Mateos, really good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of uh, what that low is doing and, you know, um, let's talk a, a little bit more about data in general. Um, mm -hmm. And and then I want to kind of focus more on the data diversity. Um, so can you elaborate a little bit more on the strategies and measures, right, that um, are implemented within your location intelligence platform uh, to ensure that, you know, diverse data sourcing is actually happening? Yeah, great. That's, that's actually a great question, Angel, because uh, geographic bias is a very important thing to, to, to understand. In Brazil, we have a lot of regional social inequality. So we have regions that are so much richer than others. And as a consequence, you, you might not have as much data from places with higher social inequality as you have in richer places. Okay. So... Uh, there are two very important things about it. One of the things is that, you know, one of the biggest geographic bias causes is the absence of data from one place compared to another. Mm -hmm. And so we must have data from every place in the territory that we are working with, regardless of uh, social inequality or the richness of these places. So we, we have to, to have data not just from capitals, big cities, there are places that companies usually look the most, but also remote places, socially vulnerable places. Because when you don't have data about social socially vulnerable places, you actually hide all the potential these places have for economic development. And companies are actually interested in, in understanding this potential. They are really looking for opportunities. But if you don't have data about these places, 
you are hiding this potential and mm -hmm. you cre create kind of a, a cycle because uh, the, these people, these companies don't go to these places and people as a consequence have less opportunities to 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 have access to you know better uh, consumption uh, better job opportunities mm -hmm. and so that's one very important things uh, the absence of data is not the only geographic bias when you think about uh, location analysis but it's certainly one of the 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 biggest ones so we try to overcome that by working with data sets that are not originally built for business analysis. So, for example, we work with a lot of data sets that are originally built for government policies, social policies from the government. And even those data sets sometimes are, are, are really bad. Um, for example, during my master's degree, uh, there were... Um, entire neighborhoods that simply would not exist in official maps of the government because they, the government did consi didn't consider these places as a mm -hmm. official neighborhood because people uh, occupied these abandoned places because they didn't have any, any other place to live. And the government don't consider it as part of the city, but it's actually part of the city. There, there's business going on there. There are people living. There's people consuming and working um, so we also have to to get data from uh, different places mostly online so we have to craft data and be able to 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 try to get data from all these places uh, even when the government uh, don't have this data yeah no that's that's very um, interesting because you know, it's it's basically isolating, right? Uh, that's, yes. that's that's what you do when you're trying to build something or change something or create some sort of program. Um, and you know, here you are collecting data, uh, but then, like you say, you know, all this missing data. Where 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 is it, right? Uh, and where are all these people? And who's talking to these people? Who's taking yeah. care of these people? Uh, so it's very isolating um, right now in terms of, you know, data diversity, I would say, and across a lot of different industries. Uh, so it's really it's really good that, you know, your company that low is integrating with, um, you know, diversity in their data, trying to get to, to points where people are not getting. That's that's very, very important, I would say. Um, and I'm guessing that's probably, you know, the success that you guys have had as well um, and how you guys have been able to differentiate from your competitors right um, everyone yeah. wants to work with the googles of the world right everyone wants to get google's data uh, but no one wants to get you know the data of that zip code in x country and x town that they have 100 people only and no one wants to know about them um, yeah, and, and location data is so important uh, there was this story that people told me when i went to visit a a community uh, during my master's degree and this community was not recognized as a official part of the city because it was a place that people occupied people who, who didn't have anywhere else to go and you know there were like 3,000 families living there it, it wasn't uh, small it was a very big thing 
and they told this story that one once a man was feeling bad uh, was feeling bad was feeling sick and they took this man to the hospital to the public hospital and they refused to give him medical attention because he didn't have a official address because the address from that neighborhood were, were not accepted as a official uh, address and the man died. So the absence of location data actually is really dangerous for, for people. People get hurt because of that. So it's really important to, to understand that we have to get data from, from, from all the places that our people live in it, not just the places that are considered important for that. Definitely. And then this this probably, you know, applies again to all industries out there, not just healthcare or right. Yeah. Um, it's it's all over. Um, and in and, and terms of uh, what that law is doing um, with, uh, you know, what, what is called user centric design. Right. Um, how are you dealing with the user centric design for inclusivity? Uh, so in, in creating this user experiences in your platform. Right. How is it that your team approaches the, the user-centric design to ensure that there's inclusivity, right? Considering dif diverse backgrounds and and uh, ethnicities, right, and different perspectives. Yeah. So uh, since the beginning, uh, the idea was to build a really intuitive platform and interface that all users could use to to build maps, even when they didn't have technical skills, and we built this interface to be really easy for users to work with. And also we handled the data in a way that was easy to understand that you didn't have to be a, a data scientist to, to understand this data, to analyze it or cross it with different data sets. But right now we are living in a very exciting time because of AI and natural language. Yeah. And in the location, um, location softwares, natural language is actually a huge deal uh, because it changes the way that people works with maps. Uh, so what happened is that maps really didn't have much evolution in the last maybe 20 years, 30 years. Didn't uh, Things didn't change a lot, didn't, didn't get better in any relevant way. Uh, the last time that uh, maps had a huge transformation is when we went from printed to digital maps. Right. When that happened, it was so much easier for, pe for people to build a map. People didn't have to be a cartographer to, to build a map. And because there was so much more maps being built, there was so much more maps being used by people. And natural language actually breaks the, this barrier again because you, you now don't even have to be uh, able to work with a GIS platform. You just have to ask for data. You can use natural language to build maps. And we believe that natural language will change the, the, the way people... Natural language will change the relation that people have with maps by the same mm -hmm. order of magnitude of when we went from printed to digital maps. Maps didn't change what they are uh, essentially, but it got so much easier to work with maps and to build maps that uh, much more people could do that 
and 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 so we believe that natural language will break this barrier again and millions of people will be able to build and use so much more maps uh, on a daily basis cool yeah it's it's very it's very interesting um you know the the way and the perspective you bring in in here in terms of you know when was the last time right that we as a as humans right <laughs> we re yeah. revisited maps and and how do we not just you know create the maps but like you're saying how, how do i navigate through these maps correctly right um and then at the same time again bringing all that inclusivity into into the industry so that we're not just looking at the maps and at the places that we want to look at, but we were looking at everything at once, right? Yes, um, exactly. Uh, isolating, isolating anyone, um, and which is, you know, at the end of the day, the point of this show, right, is to identify these minority stories. Um, so I really appreciate everything that Datlo is doing. It's very interesting. Um, I, I really like the, you know, the the approach of your data diversity there um and where you're going with that so i truly uh believe in in you know what you guys are doing too so i'm pretty sure you guys are going to be very very successful um but you know just to kind of maybe wrap up uh, a little bit um here um talk to us a little bit about your you know future plans any future plans that you have personally or with that low um and then maybe at the end give a little bit of advice to any aspiring minority entrepreneur founder out there um, mm -hmm. as to, you know, how how is it that they should navigate this um, or basically just tell them, you know, a few tips and tricks on how uh, to navigate challenges uh, in the minority uh, ecosystem? Yeah. Well, so um, one thing that we learned is that we have to build a global uh, company because usually companies from uh, emerging markets, they start wanting to build something local. For example, when we started, we dreamed about being the, the data platform for LATAM. And when we got into Y Combinator, we understood that, you know, American companies, they don't think about that. Uh, US companies, they usually just build, uh, for example, the data company for the world, not for the United States. And and the companies from these emerging markets like Brazil or, or other countries, we we started thinking so locally and and I understood that we don't have to, to limit ourselves to that. We can also be able to build these global solutions. And mm -hmm. this is a very interesting thing because Actually, this is what made us uh, go after raising money. So we bootstrapped the company at the beginning. And at, at a certain point, we understood that we would have to raise money if we wanted to, to build a global company, to, to go to other places. And we understood that we had to do this from the best investors that we could find. And that was Y Combinator in our, in our perspective, in our perspective. We wanted Y Combinator, and it was really hard to get into YC. We, we tried three times, and every time we got rejected, um, we would the next time we would show a lot of improvement, a lot of growth, both on the growth of the company and also the ability of the founders. So in the third time we got in, 
uh, and you know to go from the middle of nowhere to receive the investment of you know the best investors that we could find it was a huge challenge but we had to overcome it and it was part of this vision that we we really need to build something globally that we cannot limit ourselves just because we are from an emerging market uh, because it's very it's a very common thing for 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 founders from this market to think that they have to build a company to be able to to help just these markets as if they were not able to build a company to help the whole world so that's our vision for the future cool yeah no that's very good and um you know it's 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 also interesting matilda you you said like about two or three times already um you start a sentence saying uh, you know american companies don't this american companies can't this and in the way i kind of process that is you know exactly the problem right that um american companies are not aware <laughs> and they're not <laughs> opening up right to other things uh, so you're bringing a completely new perspective to an american market and it's not that your solution or your perspective is wrong is that the other perspective the american side right is not recognizing that and i i think it's you know it's time that that we start recognizing these things because this things like like you do uh and that low as a company coming from brazil for example it just expands and and, and brings more um you know fruit to to our ecosystem here in the us so why not invite that right why not be open to that and then just you know bring the opportunities bring the diversity i believe that's how we potentially could start bringing in diversity into the ecosystem a little bit more yeah uh when i when i think about american market uh, the reason that i i mention it so particularly mm -hmm. is because it is the biggest market in the world but it's actually a very closed market you know right. american people are great i i i never met an american person that i didn't like But when you look at business, uh, you know, European countries, they are more used to use products and services from other countries than mm -hmm. the United States. United States companies are usually just using American products. So there is this, this barrier to break that is uh, actually getting better uh, every year. But we still have to deal with um, kind of this this closed market, this market that is very, uh, that looks much more to the inside than the outside. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And and there's, you know, there's a lot of work to do. So, um, and I believe that Datlo is, you know, doing its part. Um, so I'm sure that every person that's listening to this uh, also, you know, appreciates what you guys are doing. Uh, so again, you know, Mateus, uh, thank you for being on the show. Um, this was great. Yeah, thank you for having me, Angel. All right. And everyone, this was Mateus Fellini, and he is the founder and CEO at Datlo. And this was Angel Lee and your host at Minority Mavericks. This is a show where you can listen to the stories of all minority entrepreneur founders and investors out there. See you next time.